Hello and welcome. This is Friend Request. I'm your host, Justin Lamb, and this is episode 83 with my friend Clara. I was born in 83, and shortly after I was born, my brother and me met a family, the Websters, and this is the uh, youngest sister of the Websters. Uh, Clara, now known as Clara Yu. Apparently people get married. It's crazy. Uh, but it's uh, it was such a pleasure to talk with her. And as you'll hear right in the beginning, uh, to see her and talk with her outside of like messaging uh, for the first time in 22 years. So I find out all about her life. I hope you guys enjoy this and all of Clara's stories. She has got some wild stories. And we'll talk to you after the episode for notes, details, and high fives. You and I have lots in common. My request is sent. Would you like to be my friend? Would you like to be my friend? Well, hi. Hey, Justin. <laughs> how are you? Long time no chat. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it has been a very long time. I honestly don't know when the last time we would have talked um, in person. I know. Oh, oh my God. Now I, I don't know if I should be worried or excited. Um, <laughs> so I want to, well, I start with how I know people. I, I've known you like like your, the rest of your family so as far back as I can remember because our older yeah. brothers were friends um, around the time yep. that I like started having memories. So uh, I've always known your family and went to school mm-hmm. with you guys. And when was the last time we talked, Clara? <laughs> Um, okay, so wait, just confirm. What year did you graduate? Two thousand. Were you two thousand one? Yeah. Okay, so I I was a year behind you. I was two thousand two. Although we're probably pretty close in age because I was really old for my grade, and um, I was involved in student council all four years of high school, which was at our high school was a class. It was the last hour of the day, and I remember i was the chair of battle of the bands did you have a band in high school i had a number of bands in high school (laughs) okay so you participated in battle of the bands yeah gosh it must have been my sophomore year and maybe your junior year sounds about right so i was in charge of it and it was supposed to be outside and it started raining. That was, <laughs> that would have been your freshman year. Um, okay. So your sophomore year. Yeah. So then I remember you going and I'm a freshman, right? Like I have no pull in the high school. I had only been at the high school for maybe six weeks. Yeah. Right. When all the homecoming stuff was happening and all these bands are lined up to play. They have their set list, all that. And then it starts raining and you go, Claire, it's raining. We can't have our equipment outside. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh. And so I was like scattered and I didn't know what to do. And I finally was able to get us all moved to the auditorium, so which funny. that was a brand new high school. That was the year the yeah. high school opened. Yeah. And I think that was the last time we talked was when you played Battle Band. That's funny. So there's... <laughs> There's a lot to unpack in that one story because I have specific memories of that as well. Because um, we played, my band got to play outside, and it was the the doorway, the doors that go out to the football field at the yes. very end. And we played yeah, out there. Yeah, there was there. like a cement 
cement thing yeah. that you guys played on. We yeah. played an Operation Ivy cover that I was very nervous about because there's so many lyrics. Um, but then I remember <laughs> in the transition, my buddy's band, Bramley... Yes, um, but that was yeah. yeah. I mean, that was separate from the story. But that's that's so funny because I all I remember from about that is singing the Operation Ivy song that I was nervous about, and then seeing Bramley play in that hallway. Um, and there's this like chunk from like 15 to 17 that is very fuzzy for me. And I that was before I ever did anything substance wise, and I think it's just like yeah. all trauma based. And I'm like, still oh, haven't still haven't unpacked all that, but. <laughs> Uh, that's hilarious. So, and, and with that, I guess we haven't talked in 22 years in person. It's been a long time. Wow. Well, <laughs> hello. Welcome. I'm, I'm Thank you. super Thank you. happy you agreed to do this. Uh, sure. I, I'm so curious, you know, you're one of those people that really are kind of an inspiration, like generally speaking, I don't like, I don't stalk you, but, um, <laughs> like looking at how this podcast started, right. Where I would go through Facebook and be like, like, who are these people? Like, I know who they are, but like, who are these people? And, sure. you know, through Facebook, through social media, I've seen you get married and have kids and, uh, you know, go on vacations. And this is how we see so many people in our lives on social media. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm in the grand scheme of things and you like start a business and like, and mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't know anything about you really, uh, except for these, mm -hmm. these occasional pictures and posts and what are those anyway? So with that said, uh, you're the youngest, well, I guess not the youngest technically, but <laughs> you're the half youngest. How do you want to view that? Do you view yourself as the youngest sibling? Oh, out of my family. Yeah. Oh gosh. Um, Yes and no, because 14 years of my life, I was the baby of the family. Yeah. And then when my mom had my little sister when I was 14, she kind of took over as the baby, but I already was like middle of my teen years. Yeah. So I was so close to being an adult that it didn't feel like she took my place yeah. as the baby it just allowed my mom and my stepdad to continue being parents well let's uh let's back up further then when you are the only okay. child um what's yeah. the what's the age difference between you you have an older sister and an older brother yeah so mindy is not quite two years older than me okay my birthday's in july hers is in october and then Chris, my older brother, is almost four years older than me. Okay. What does that look so. like growing up? Like, I'm assuming you probably don't start having memories till about five or whatever that looks like. My, I, I actually have an incredible memory. Oh. Like, really good memory. It's gotten worse over the last few years because kids. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm just a tired, tired yeah. mom. Sleep deprivation um, will do that too. <laughs> yeah. And I have pretty bad sleep deprivation, which is a whole nother story. But uh, gosh, my youngest memory was when my parents bought the house on Chickadee. Yeah. And we had gone over, I think my parents had like gotten the keys and we had gone over and they were showing us the new house. And I have this memory of my mom grabbing my hand and holding my hand and walking me around that house, like the outside of the house. It was, 
it was a tri-level built on a hill and so she was like walking us down and around and then up the backyard and around the other side of the house showing us our new home so that's my youngest memory that I have that's very vivid that's a nice memory how old were you when you guys got that house um I think it was right around the time I was turning three so mid 80s yeah well you you alluded to uh your parents divorcing because you mentioned your stepdad. How old are you when yeah. that happens? So the divorce started when I was in first grade. So okay. Minnie was in third and Chris was in fifth. And it was finalized by the time I was in third grade. So it was, was, it was kind of a long yeah, process. It's drawn out a bit. Yeah. I think there was custody battles yeah. and child support issues and all of that. Okay. So, um, what is that like? Yeah. What is that like for you as like a seven to nine year old? Um, I don't have a ton of memories of the actual divorce like happening. I have a lot of memories of going to my dad's house and going there on the weekends and not really wanting to go. You know, did you have to do that? Um, my dad lived in Florida, so we uh, we went there like once, maybe twice a year. And okay. as, a, as a little kid, no, I didn't want to go at all. Uh, my mom still tells yeah. the story that like I, I was crying because I was like, what if I don't know what he looks like? Like, what if I don't recognize him? Um, oh, my gosh. Because I think it was, so it was a little like it might have been a year or maybe a little less than a year between when he moved to Florida and I first like saw him again. Um, wow. So, you know, when you're five years old, four years old, that's, that's a long time. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's a, that's a very long time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, (laughs) I know that the divorce was really hard for my mom and I know my dad didn't make things any easier on her either. Yeah. So some of my memories of that include like my mom having a really hard time with the divorce. And as a little girl, I I was like such a little girly girl. And when you asked me what I wanted to be when I was a little girl, I would say, I want to be a bride. Like that's what I wanted. And I was obsessed with wedding dresses and weddings and all of that stuff. I just loved it. And so I remember my mom having a really hard time with the the divorce and I don't know what was the reason but she was crying and she looked at me and she goes when you grow up and be a bride just make sure you choose the right one and that <laughs> you know? stuck with you apparently <laughs> like that's a obviously yeah wow <laughs> so it's yeah. funny the so, impact those little like five second moments can have uh, totally and a child and that's i mean you're a parent of we'll get there eventually but how many kids do you have three two two okay two. <laughs> and two. i just uh i can't imagine if you start like thinking about that the this the anxiety and stress associated with like your own parenting and like oh my god did i have oh, i yeah. had have i said a sentence that my kids are going to quote in you know 30 years um, oh. <laughs> I'm just trying to make you as anxious as possible. That's my, uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, 
But no, I mean, I think about that and that's like a fear of mine when I consider like being a parent, like, uh, you know, that's, that's the trope, right? You can do as, as good a parent as you want to be and, and you can still yeah. fuck something up. Right. <laughs> like, um, yeah. And totally. the, it's, it's just crazy to think about the things we hold on to, but, um, anyway, tangent. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, what, what's going on? I mean, what's your balance from the seeing that stuff at home to like, do you have a, a vibrant social life when you're in elementary school? How does that translate? And when do you guys leave that house and that neighborhood? So, um, so the divorce finalized when I was in third grade and we, I very much remember in fourth grade, I had a fantastic teacher. Her name was Mrs. Leninger oh, yeah. at Pine Knob. And I remember I was so excited. I came home with the, the field trip paperwork at the beginning of the year because she, the teacher had planned for the whole fourth grade to go to Mackinac Island and stay the night. And I remember being like a little bit concerned because I didn't know if my mom would be able to afford it back then in like the mid nineties, I think it was like $400 for the student yeah, to go for a few nights. <laughs> yeah. It was pricey, but I think we ended up going for two or three nights and we did some of the like Michigan historic sites on the way and stuff like that. And they got like one of those big buses for everybody to go mm. on and stuff. And, um, but I came home and I was like so excited that we were going to go on this trip. And I remember my mom being like, oh, I think we can make it happen, but we're going to be moving out of our house. And I remember being like super sad to leave and being like, well, am I going to have to leave my friends and stuff like that? But then, you know, we ended up in, um, Hidden Lakes apartment, yeah, like three miles away, <laughs> which, yeah, like yeah. was literally, I had to walk to school Yeah, right next door, <laughs> right next door. So, uh, that was 1994 ish when we left the house on chickadee and went to the apartments and did I have a vibrant social life? Yes. I was always social, um, all through school, like elementary, middle school, high school, even part of college, I was pretty social. It wasn't until I got to like my mid twenties that I became more of like, oh, I only need a few really good friends. Yeah, yeah. You know? What, uh, I, I'm wondering, just thinking about my own experience, um, you know, we grew up in a time when divorce wasn't nearly as common as it is now. And uh, I was, one of like a few people that had divorced parents and mm -hmm. so did you do you remember noticing that like because that i mean that's not something my brother noticed that i feel like way earlier than i did um but i didn't really notice it until like almost high school probably uh maybe somewhere in junior high and i don't i think i gravitated towards people that also had divorced parents like oh we might have that in common then um, and I'm wondering what your experience was with that as far as your social life and having that uncommon so that, <laughs> background. That's so funny that you asked because I knew pretty early on that I was from a divorced family and it was different because I didn't like my third grade teacher. Who, who was it? Who was it? <laughs> okay. Here, 
I, so she was originally the PE teacher, Mrs. Eller. Okay. And I loved her as a gym teacher, but then they needed her to be a full-time teacher. And I didn't like the class, or at least that's how I remember. I didn't like her class. And I asked for a different teacher and they basically told my mom that I was having issues with the divorce. And so they put me and one other girl in this like counseling class because we were both children of divorced families. And they made us go and take our lunch and miss one of the recesses to like get this divorce counseling. And I was so mad that they took away one of my recesses. Like after a few months, I said, I'm not coming anymore. And I don't, her name was Jody, and I don't remember her last name, the, the counselor, but she was like, well, why not, Clara? And I was like, because I don't want to miss recess with my friends. Yeah, yeah pull, me out, <laughs> pull me out during math time. Don't pull me out during recess. Jeez. Exactly. And so that is like when I realized that, yeah. oh, I'm different. My parents are divorced. But, you know, go, going on one of my best friends, her parents were also divorced. And um, I think by the time I got to middle school, I had a couple more friends who had divorced parents, but obviously not a ton. Clarkson, you know, a lot of people were not divorced. Most people had both parents. I'm so intrigued by this, this divorce class (laughs) or or counseling, (laughs) just because I feel like unless you were like being bullied for it, putting a kid out with more kids for socialization is probably more of, of like a cushioning factor to that trauma than like the counseling is. Um, right. So that's, uh, that's just, yeah, it's just funny to think about. And I wonder how that's evolved in the, in the school system. Um, well, it's so funny because the other student that I went to the counseling class with, she and I have stayed in touch over the years and it's just so funny because we definitely like had a bond knowing that we were both yeah. from divorced families. Yeah. That transition, leaving leaving the joys of Pine Knob Elementary and, and that mm-hmm. wonderful awkward time for everybody into like junior high. Uh, what what does that look like for you? How's how's life, I guess, up until the your baby sister is born? Oh gosh. So here's a funny <laughs> fact about me. Um I started sixth grade in the fall of 95 and I met in that time frame, uh, two of my best friends and my husband. Oh, wow. I didn't know your husband was from here. (laughs) Yeah, we, he, uh, he grew up in, well, he lived in Hidden Lake. He grew up in, um, Spring Lake. That's so funny. (laughs) Yeah, we've gone to school since sixth grade together. Um, his locker in high school was, and probably middle school too, two lockers down from mine. Oh, wow. It was like me and then Ryan Weiss and then Ashley Wilson and then Kyle. <laughs> Good old so, alphabetical um, order. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that, I, I mean, obviously I had no idea that my friends and sixth grade would be friends for a lifetime. And yeah. I didn't know that Kyle, that, you know, quiet, shy kid 
two lockers down from mine was going to be my husband. But, you know, that's how it worked out. Uh, middle school is actually, I have fond memories of middle school and high school yeah. because I became really involved in school and I liked school. I was a good student. I liked classes. I liked learning. Um, and I loved being involved, especially because I couldn't, we couldn't afford for us to be involved with sports, Yeah. but I found other ways to get involved. And that gave me like such a purpose in life. Yeah. And I took my role like super seriously. <laughs> so did you, so, uh, did you feel like, I, I don't know how to phrase this, almost like you needed to have that involvement? Like you had you had to have something going on? Um, like, were you doing it, looking back, like as an adult, were you doing it to uh, escape anything? Or was it, like, wh where was the desire coming from to be that busy as, as, a, as a teen and preteen? Um, you know, I was just like I said, it gave me a lot of purpose. And, um, I loved the sense of community that I got from it. Yeah. Um, my mom, when I was in middle school, she was busy going to nursing school and working and my siblings were a little bit older and they had their own friends. And, and so I, had to learn early on to find something for myself. And that for me was getting involved in the free things at school. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so like I got involved early on with junior optimist. Do you remember that? Yeah, I was in the optimist they... club for like a minute. <laughs> okay. So, well, I joined and I stayed a part of it for a while and I loved what I learned in it. Um, the can, community involvement we didn't grow up in a church and yeah. so that was my first time really experiencing like getting involved in your community i remember like um raking leaves for elderly people and doing food drives and <laughs> i remember one time do you remember lighthouse north yeah yeah i still donate stuff to them <laughs> i remember one time they hired us to like paint their facility for free like we were volunteering and we did like such a horrible job <laughs> would hire like young teenagers yeah. to pay yeah it was so bad That's i feel really so bad funny. about that now <laughs> so it sounds like things were pretty great for you and in, in throughout school um mm -hmm. and, and then does anything change when your mom gets pregnant and has another kid Oh, well, I mean, everything changed. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I had a really hard time accepting it. I actually like did not talk to my mom the entire time she was pregnant with Emma. I was so, I was so mad at her. I, I don't know what the reasoning was for it. Maybe I was just like so angry at her for like, she was going to take over my spot as the baby. Yeah. You know, but looking back and since becoming a mom, I'm like, oh my gosh, I was so selfish, you know, because my mom just wanted a chance to have a family with her new husband. And it's like the greatest joy you could have as a, as a mom and dad. And 
um, I obviously love my little sister so much. And I, I loved having her as part of my life yeah. as a teen and in my twenties. And obviously things changed a little bit because I went away to college at 18 and the only time I ever went back home was for like two months, my freshman year of college. But then I never lived with my parents again. And then right after college, we moved to California. So I'm not super close to my little sister, but I love her so much. Yeah. And I'm super proud of everything that she's accomplished. But the, circling back, it doesn't mean that her becoming a part of my life didn't change everything. I very much remember um, senior year of high school, like my mom and dad both had to work midnights because they were in the medical field and they'd be like, okay, you guys have to watch Emma tonight. And I'd be like, I have a calculus and a physics test tomorrow, mom. <laughs> and I would be like, you know, baby on my hip or trying to get my little sister down to bed and then studying for calculus and physics. Yeah. So Yes, like I said, everything changed. I remember wanting to, like it was my turn to babysit and I'd wanna go do something social in high school. And so Emma totally came to football games with me on Friday nights. That's funny. <laughs> you know, she, she did things, maybe looking back, she probably shouldn't have, but you know, I was a good- I She was, was doing keg stands was... at four. It's... <laughs> regular that's funny you know um well you mentioned college what is because given what you've said so far i imagine you had quite an academic resume when you were looking at, at colleges so where what ends up happening there where do you, where did you go to school so that's so funny you say that i um co college that process alone was probably one of the biggest failures of my life oh Okay, go on. <laughs> um, so I was, you know, a really strong student and had a lot of uh, extracurricular activities. I, I had multiple jobs through high school. And all I wanted to do was to go to U of M and go to their architecture school. And that nice. was the only school I applied to. And I did not get in. That's a bummer. <laughs> they, did, they, they didn't want me. And... I mean, everything happens for a reason, but I, um, I didn't get in and I was devastated. And this was right around the time my parents were selling their house in Clarkson and moving to Traverse city. And my mom was like, well, I didn't want you to go to U of M anyways. You can come to Traverse city with us. You can go to school up in Traverse city, you know, get two years of, um, community college under your belt and, and help us with Emma. And then you can go to U of M to um, architecture school. And I, if there's one thing anybody should know about me, it's that I'm going to do it my way. Like no one's going to tell me what to do. Yeah. My husband still talks about this because I just, I'm going to do it my way. <laughs> and so I remember saying to her, I'm not going, Yeah. I'm not going to Traverse city. That's not what I want. And so I went upstairs and got on my Dell computer <laughs> and applied to OU and got accepted like immediately. I mean, I think I hit submit and then within two minutes had an acceptance email saying you've been accepted. So I ended up going to OU. I started out in their engineering program. 
again, going back to these aren't my people. (laughs) (laughs) I loved math and science, but quickly realized like I didn't really feel like I fit in the world of engineering. And so then I decided to switch to, um, I was considering becoming a math teacher because I love math and decided I didn't really want to be a teacher. And so I ended up in the school of business and I had a hard time deciding like what type of business I should focus on. My um, accounting teacher tried so hard to persuade me into becoming an accounting major. And I actually loved accounting and I was good at it, but I went with marketing with a like focus in public relations. So I'm curious, I'm going to back up. Um, how much of your mom, like come up to Traverse city, live with us, take care of the kid with us. (laughs) How much of that Mm -hmm. was like, no, I see an opportunity to like leave this (laughs) unit for whatever period of time and like do my own thing. Um, I mean, obviously there's a level of that with every 18 year old, I think, (laughs) but how much of that was related to the opportunity to go out side of of that family unit that you'd been so immense like immersed in for so long well i wouldn't say a ton actually because one of my biggest driving forces was kyle and i had been dating for almost a year at this point in time okay and he went to school at kettering in flint okay and i didn't want to be far away from him yeah like she we did it for s- a boy guys. <laughs> oh, but later on he followed me across the country. So. <laughs> yeah. It's, oh, I've, um, I've gone across the country with a girl. That's no shame in that game. I was, right. I was so in love with him and we like, we were so meant to be that I was like, I cannot leave him. I am not going to Traverse city four hours away. I want to be close to him. Yeah. And that was one of my biggest driving forces was like, I need to stay here in Oakland County or near so I can be yeah. close to him. Um, so. so tell me about living on your own for that. Did you live with him outside of high school right, right away? Or did you go to live in the dorms or? I lived in the dorms my freshman year. Okay. Um, and then I got an apartment in Pontiac. It was so sketch. It was scary. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I lived in Pontiac for two years. And then I had some horrible roommate experiences, like horrible. Um, and Kyle and I were still together at that point. And he was like, I cannot watch you live with any more bad roommates. Why don't we get a place together? And his aunt and uncle, who are also in Oakland County, were like, well, we want to buy an investment house. Why don't you guys just rent it from us? So we ended up living in Bloomfield for the last year and a half of college. Okay. So, yeah. um, I guess, I I don't know, I'm trying to think of how to approach questions. Um, (laughs) I've never done this before. It's only the... (laughs) 89th interview um no like moving in with with your your boyfriend for the first time mm-hmm. at, at that age when you're like experiencing all this stuff uh i imagine experiencing all sorts of weird stuff and, and living in a apartment in pontiac but um like what what is that experience like and what are what are some of the 
uh, challenges or adversities you faced like between your last couple of years at college and uh, sharing a space with with uh, with your with your boyfriend for the first time? You know, that was so hard for us. So when we moved in together, we had been together like going on four years already. And so that was when we were finally living together. And that is probably the point in time in our relationship where we had the most fights. (laughs) Um, One, because I like a clean house (laughs) and I am the cook and it carried on into like living together that I assumed most of those roles but then also he was a gamer and so in college he was really into gaming and I would be like going to bed at like nine o'clock ten o'clock on a Friday and he would be sitting down to play video games and then um he would be going to bed as I was waking up yeah (laughs) <laughs> were you a gamer no but i i've lived with okay i've lived with a number of them <laughs> over the okay years. i mean it's 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 an addiction right like it was definitely it actually an like is a uh, measurable addiction yeah <laughs> yeah totally mm-hmm. so that was hard and then we also like because we were renting the house from his aunt and uncle they were like the one thing that you guys have to do is care for the home and it had a yard so like we had to mow the yard and our lawnmower broke. And I was like, I'm just going to call a lawn mowing company to come mow it this week. Cause we lived in a neighborhood that had like these crazy HOA rules that said, if your grass was over like two inches or something like that, they were going to fine you. So I was like, I'm just going to call it. And he was like, no, I'm going to fix the the lawnmower. And that was probably one of our biggest fights is we ended up not talking for like three or four days over this stupid lawnmower. And (laughs) I know, but these are the, these are the the hard situations you have to go through with your significant other to see how you work it out. Right. It's, it's so funny that it's like something like a lawnmower. Um, I, I used to have all last season, I had a therapist on once a month to discuss specific things. And one thing we always went back to when talking about couples and communication is like, it's never about the dishes, right? Like the argument about the dishes yes. is not about the dishes. And so uh, <laughs> using that analogy, the argument about the lawnmower is not about the lawnmower. Was it's that just a culmination of everything else? And that was, that was kind of it. I imagine you aren't yeah. like, I just fucking hate Toros, you know? <laughs> like, <that's>, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, part of my sobriety is being intentional with the things that I do. And that is one of the reasons, <laughs> segue, that I really enjoy intentional IPA. It's a, it's a non-alcoholic IPA from Wellbeing Brewing, and it is absolutely delicious. It is in my, I think, top two, top three, top two. I'm going to give it top two IPAs. It is delightful. Uh, it comes in a 16-ounce can, which is nice because it's the closest thing you can get to a tall boy in the non-alcoholic realm. So I would highly recommend checking it out. They ship everywhere in the country, and they have a bunch of other beers that are delicious, though I personally love the Intentional IPA. Ooh, Going Places IPA, too. Oh, crap. I'm going to do my own order now. Uh, this, this backfired. I'm spending money. Uh, so go to Wellbeing Brewing. 
check them out. They are delicious. You can use code friend request to save 10%. So do that now. It's a, it's a great Christmas gift. You want to try to tell somebody subtly that they're drinking too much? Don't do that. But try some for yourself. It is delicious. Well-being brewing. Use code friend request and raise well-being. All right, back to the episode. <laughs> no, you know, I was probably had a lot to do with the gaming. And, you know, Kyle and I have been together for over 20 years now, and we've never broken up. But that was probably one of the times that we may have almost broken up was yeah. because of like the gaming and that probably just went into the lawnmower situation. Okay. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. <laughs> I, I was just like, when you said that, that immediately I was reminded of that. It's not about the dishes. It's never, it's, it's, not. it's never about the it's dishes. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, I, I have a billion questions about, about that relationship in general i'm so intrigued okay but i'll i'll okay. get there i'll get there eventually um okay so you graduate ou how mm -hmm. what happens then how do you end up on the other side of the country <laughs> oh okay so this is actually a good story i um so kyle and i both were working in the automotive industry i was working for borg warner at that building right off of i-75 near where the palace was yeah Okay, so that was my internship at the time. He was working for another automotive supplier. And we both, like, when we started these jobs, our employers were like, we would love to be able to offer you a job. When you graduate, you can come work for us. We're like, awesome, we're set. And then the automotive industry failed. <laughs> and literally, like, thousands of people were be being laid off. And um, I remember our employers basically saying, like, we can't hire you because we can't even keep these people who have worked with us for 20 years. Yeah. So we realized like as seniors in college, like, okay, we're going to have to start paying back student loans soon. And there's no jobs here. There's no jobs here. And so we start applying all over the country. I applied for on Craigslist. I applied for jobs oh, yeah. in Georgia, <laughs> Florida, Texas, California, like everywhere. And I got a phone interview with a small marketing research company based in Sausalito, which is the small little tourist town on the northern part of the Golden Gate Bridge. It's the okay. first little town after you pass the bridge. And they probably put me through 14 phone interviews between October and November of 2006. Wow. And then they offered to fly me out two days before I graduated. And they offered me a job, my very first job interview yeah. out of college <laughs> or like right before I was graduating. And I remember they offered me like $45,000. And I, I sat down and looked them in the eye and I go, well, can you give me more? <laughs> I love that. And they did. They gave me a little bit more to help with like moving expenses and stuff. Yeah. And um, they offered me the position, obviously, and I took it. And I flew back on a Friday. And Saturday morning, I walked across the stage and got my diploma. Or what? what is it? Is it a diploma from my college? Yeah. Your degree? Your degree, yeah. Your degree? Your diploma, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'll take diploma. <laughs> <laughs> so I got my degree 
on a Saturday morning. This is, we, we both graduated in December. So then we, I drove up to Traverse City and spent Christmas with my family. Kyle spent Christmas with his family. I came back down. We packed up our house that we were living in, renting, our three cats, our mattress, and two computers, and our clothes. And I think it was like January 2nd, we got on the road. Happy New Year. Bye. (laughs) Uh (laughs) We got on the road and drove across the country to California with $2,500 to our name total. Like, that's nothing for the Bay Area, right? Like, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Nothing. That's like pennies <laughs> in the Bay Area. And um, we didn't know anybody. We didn't have a place to live. Kyle didn't have a job yet. All I knew is that I had to get to California because I had a job to be to on January 6th. <laughs> so, um, so we get to California. We stay in hotels we well we put our stuff in a storage unit yeah and we stay in hotels and we're bouncing around from hotel to hotel whatever one was cheapest i start going to work and i'm driving over into the golden gate bridge every day to go to my job which that in itself is expensive isn't it <laughs> isn't there like yeah <laughs> yeah it's like four i think at the time it was like four or five dollars to cross the bridge yeah um but it's only one way okay. so once a day <laughs> And then um, finding an apartment in San Francisco is crazy because you literally, once it posted on Craigslist, you literally had to be the first one to see it Yeah. because you wanted to go in, like basically fill out an application and put your down payment on it because they were going so quickly. It was really hard to get one. So when we was went- Was this like 2006? It was January, 2007. Okay. Okay. So when we went, I was in, I was at work and Kyle was basically sitting in a hotel room, searching for apartments, trying to run to an apartment to, to sign up for it. He ended up finding us apartment. It was a studio one bedroom apartment in lower pack Heights, adorable, like very, very cute, updated expensive (laughs) um and we moved into that and then he i remember we had like a folding folding table and a folding chair and once we were moved into our apartment he sat at this folding table for like eight hours a day searching for a job and within six weeks of being in california we both had jobs and we both had we had an apartment to live in yeah and like barely any rent, we racked up so much debt trying to survive in California, paying student loans with two cars, moving across country, moving expenses, trying to buy some furniture to live with, all of that. And still wanting to like explore and enjoy our new city. Yeah. It's a fantastic city. And so we want to go out and go out to eat and those kinds of things. So you know, to be young and dumb again and crack up a ton of debt. It's so funny. I want to, uh, on a separate occasion, just like lay our lives out side by side. And, and it's, it's just really funny. The, and that's one of my favorite things about doing the show, the perspective that you can gain from hearing someone else's story 
that's so completely opposite of your own. Oh, really? Um, <laughs> yeah. You actually got to California uh, four months after I moved back from California. <laughs> oh, really? I didn't know you were in California. What yeah. part? Uh, down in LA. Okay. I lived in LA for two years. I moved out there with a suitcase, no car, and no money. <laughs> um, yeah. With a girl. She had a, she she moved out there with some stuff. There was only room for a suitcase <laughs> for me. That's another story. But how wh- how long are you guys out there before you get married? So Kyle got his job like four or five weeks after we moved out here, like by mid February, and two weeks after he started his new job, his employer was like, "Well, we are going to send you to Hawaii. We have a job out there, so you need to be the full time person out there for ten months." Oh. Yeah. So he was like, okay. So he moved to Hawaii, which sounds wonderful, but it, it's a different story when you're working yeah. in Hawaii versus playing in Hawaii. And so he uh, he was there for 10 months. He was only allowed to come home one weekend a month from Friday night till Sunday night. And then I was able to go visit him twice during those 10 months so for the most part we moved to california and then we were separated wow you know by the ocean for 10 months but so this you asked when we got married so he um he was working for a hotel um doing a construction job and he was giving a per diem and he was also living at the hotel and eating in the cafeteria and he never used his per diem nice so he saved it every day and he bought my engagement ring nice. with that money because yeah. we had spent so much money otherwise trying to get settled <laughs> in San Francisco. So he came home, I want to say like November, 2007. And then he proposed to me in February, 2008. And then we got married in September, 2009. So we'd been together for eight years by the time we were married yeah well before we get into uh motherhood and clarify life if you want to talk about that um sure i i'm i'm curious about a few things so okay uh if you look at your story so far like on the surface um Mm -hmm. you did really well in school you're you're involved in Mm -hmm. all this stuff student council optimist club um you didn't get into U of M, but you, you got into OU mm-hmm. immediately. Uh, mm-hmm. It sounds like you excelled in that. Uh, and then you end up getting a job in one of like arguably one of the best cities in the country. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you're at, you start dating your high school sweetheart, sweet start. That's not a word, but you know what I'm saying? You're, you start dating <laughs> your high school sweetheart. You guys move out there together. You're living in San Francisco. He gets a job. Uh, it, like it all sounds fantastic and it, it just, mm-hmm. it, it sounds like it worked out really well. And I'm wondering what, if any, were some like adversities or challenges that you had during that period of time that maybe stick out when I describe it that way that you're like, well, hold on. <laughs> or maybe there wasn't any, because <laughs> I, I often talk to people where I'm like, I don't know those people that just kind of 
did well in school, didn't really have any issues, went to college, didn't have any issues, got a job in that field right after college. Um, that's a more uncommon story than you, than you actually would think. Um, so I'm wondering, is that your story? Like, was it, did it just work out that well and you put in the work and, and that's what it was or were there challenges there? So, um, of course there were challenges. <laughs> of course there were challenges. Yeah. But to tell you the, the truth, when I look back at my life, my challenges started after college. Okay. I, um, like I said, I loved school and I have really, really fond memories of school, you know, early on middle school, high school. Yeah. I had challenges in college. Um, more so like just trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, what am I meant to do? Um, but no, those, those were all really good years. And yeah, that's, I mean, that's great. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, yeah, I'm not like kind of poking at you like, come on, tell me what happened. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I was just like genuinely curious. Um, there is one thing that you said that I want to make sure we go back to because I think it's so important and you don't hear it enough. You said when you went out there and they offered you $45,000, you're like, give me more money. And yeah. <laughs> um, I think that's in general, uh, especially for, you know, an early 20s person entering the entering the workforce, uh, as they say, mm -hmm. to ask for. But uh, as a woman, like that's a whole other level of assertiveness that is not encouraged, taught or anything nearly at the level that it should be. So uh, where does that come from that you had the like wherewithal to ask for more money at that age in a brand new city with a, with a good job offer? Um, so I was thinking about this a little bit and you know, you asked me like, what were my biggest challenges for those years? And surprisingly enough, I look back at who I was in my teenage years and my twenties. And I had a rare level of confidence. <laughs> yeah. I had a lot of confidence in myself. Good for you. Like I knew <laughs> I knew that whatever I did, I could succeed at because I would work hard enough or I would figure it out. Yeah. And I, I I'm a recovering perfectionist. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I always wanted to make people happy and proud and I wanted to be proud of myself. And I was such a perfectionist. Now you asked me like compare those years to be the later part of my life so far and I have completely flipped <laughs> I since becoming a mom and and some of the job situations that I've gone through since becoming an adult and then becoming a mom my level of competence has completely fallen and I don't know that I would still be able to walk into an employer and say give me more money give me more money <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know what I mean yeah so I, I think that for whatever reason, I just had an incredible level of confidence. And I, I do think a lot of it stemmed from my involvement in things in high school. Yeah. Like 
I was really involved and that gave me, like I said, a, a, a purpose and boosted my confidence level and those kinds of things. Um, so, so yeah, that helped me get, get me through my early years. So I, uh, that makes sense. yeah. And that, I guess we'll just use that to segue to what, what happens to where, where you uh, feel <laughs> like you start losing that a little. Um, I mean, what, what curveballs does life start throwing at you once you're so an adult, um, as you say? <laughs> yeah. So I, um, my first job out of college, the one that brought me to California, um, I had a really difficult boss, like, you know, the devil wears Prada. Like yeah. that was my boss. <laughs> I had a really difficult boss and I struggled. My, my self-confidence started to, to fall because yeah. I had a boss and she was really hard on me and she never like offered any praise or never yeah. gave me any like kudos or anything like that. Um, and I only stayed at that job for a year and I then went to work for what I thought was going to be an event, event planning position at a, a small hotel in the heart of San Francisco in, um, Union Square. And it ended up not being that at all. It was like a sales position, like um, selling hotel rooms, yeah. not planning events for a hotel. And I remember like two weeks in, like locking myself in a bathroom and crying because I was like, why did I take this job? This is not what I want to do. This is not where it meant to be. And I was just so unhappy. And then at that time, the job that had sent Kyle to Hawaii, he had finished up that job and they were like, we want to send you to the Middle East. Oh, wow. Yeah. And and he had just proposed. And he was like, I'm not, I'm not going to the Middle East. I just proposed to my girlfriend. Like, we moved to California to start a life together. We don't want, we don't want to be separated anymore. So he quit that job and got a job offer in East Bay on the other side of the bay in San Francisco. And so we moved to a much cheaper place because rent was so crazy in San Francisco. And so I was commuting every day to the city to this job that I did not love. Yeah. And I was so unhappy. So I started immediately looking for another job because I was just so unhappy there. And I was offered a new job at an assisted living community okay. in East Bay. Like, two miles from our new apartment, super close. And very different environment, I imagine. (laughs) Totally different environment. Um, And I was hired as the activity planner. And then within, I want to say less than a year, I was actually promoted to the business manager position, which I love. I love that job so much. I oversaw, um, billing and payroll and anything business related. I was in charge of contracts, um, hiring and firing and all HR stuff and all of that stuff. Tap into all your like numbers and forms and, and and loved it. (laughs) Yes, totally. And I, um, so I had started that job and two days before I started that job, my boss at the time had started too. So we were both brand new. Well, he um, was a very difficult person, yeah. and he uh, 
was a recovering alcoholic. He had temper issues. He had been involved, uh, had been a part of the military and had a lot of military like traits to him. Yeah. Not the good ones. <laughs> and um, I was there for four years and I, I played a role as like mama bear because he was in charge and then there was me and then there was, I think, eight manager positions and then we had a total of 100 employees and he was just like an hr nightmare and he ended up putting me through hell if i can say that like he <laughs> said the f word a billion times already i think so. so he um he was verbally abusive and sometimes i thought like his his anger his face would just turn beet red and i i was like terrified that he was gonna punch me sometimes yeah. like and i'm not a big person i'm a pretty petite female so um, tiny it was it was hard you know and i remember it got to a point one day where i like came home sobbing and i told kyle i was like i can't go back i can't go back he's so horrible to me he's so awful and Kyle was like, you have to go back. You need to go back and you need to call corporate and talk to HR and file a complaint. And so somehow I was so thankful he wasn't there that day. And I walked into the building and called corporate HR and told them I, I had started documenting everything that he had said and done to me. And I was like, you need to know these are the things he's, he's doing to me. And he had a history of being difficult with yeah. employees. And so he, um, so HR sent me to a workman's comp doctor and they put me on medical leave for like depression, anxiety due to the workplace. And I ended up being out for seven months and wow. seeing a therapist and my anxiety got so bad that I couldn't even leave my house. Like I would go to the grocery store and get overwhelmed and have to leave wow. because I was so scared. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I look back and it's, it was a really hard, hard situation to be in. And I was, it probably took me a long time to like heal from it, but um, it ended up being the biggest blessing in disguise because I got an insurance payout from it. <laughs> and I used that to start my clarify business. Well, there you go. So I, that's, we'll jump right into that then. What, what is that? And why do I feel like it's going to play right into your uh, love of forms and numbers and organization? <laughs> so after, so part of my therapy after leaving that awful work environment was um, my therapist was like, you need to come up with things you love. And we can go from there on what you should do next. And I, I had created a list of things I love. Like I loved fitness. I love cooking. I love organizing, um, all of these. And organizing at the time was something I could do without having to like go back to school and get certified or, or yeah. have really spend any money on an overhead. It was a really quick and financially efficient way of going to work for myself did any of that because sorry um i told you i'd interrupt you um, did, that's okay did any of that have to do with like having control over that situation like when you're organizing something you're 
putting it like you know you have full control over all that stuff and and how it's laid out and where it goes and uh did that play a role at all it just in kind of recapturing your own power over your life yes for sure i um i basically told myself i would never have a boss again okay but two things on that i'm i am a control freak (laughs) it goes back to me saying i'm gonna do it my way i want to be in control all the time it's just who i am and then also organizing has always been like a big part of my skill set as a person and i remember having a difficult class in college and looking at Kyle and saying, I'm going to quit school and go become a professional organizer. And he's like, shut up. What even is that? <laughs> Back in like the early 2000s. And then yeah. I found NAPO in 2012, which is the National Association of Professional Organizers. And I joined my local chapter. I didn't even know that was a thing. And, oh, it's a for sure thing. And so I, um, I started out, I started my business by obviously doing like the forms and making an LLC and stuff like that. But I started out by um, working with other organizers. Oftentimes someone will hire you to do an organizing job. It's too big of a job. You can't get it done um, in, in three days. So an organizer would then reach out to their, their um, web of friends or other organizers and say, Hey, we have this big job. I'll pay you come work with me for three days and we'll get this job done. Is this typically like domestic organizing, like going into people's homes and being like, you need to get your shit together. Let us do that for you. Like what? We would never say that. Well, obviously Clara, I'm just thinking of like a team of little Claras going over to like one of the people you see on hoarders and just being like, we're going to help you fix this. Yeah. I would say like 75 to 85% is homes. And And then Marie Kondo came out and you're like, fuck that lady. Damn it. (laughs) I'm actually not a huge fan of her. That's what I'm saying. But that's just because it's it's my style. (laughs) It's not my style actually. So, um, so yeah. And and then, so then the other like 15% was like businesses. I, you know, Mm. I've organized for small chiropractic offices, uh, it companies, those kinds of things. Like for instance, people didn't just hire me to like clean up a mess, but to implement a system. And so one of the IT companies that I helped, they were known for like building computers for clients and they had this shelf and there's just parts scattered all about, but you know, an organized brain is like, okay, well, if you're going to build a computer and I don't, I know nothing about building a computer, but they're like, we need to build computers for our clients and we have no systems. And so I'm like, okay, well, what's the first thing you reach for? Let's put that at the the beginning of the shelf. What's the second thing you would reach for? And the third, and and you just come up with a system. And I, my whole theory was, I don't want to necessarily make it beautiful. A lot of organizers are like, let's make your home magazine perfect. No, (laughs) that is not my style. I am definitely a, let's make it functional and make it easy for you to get done what you need to get done every day. Let's make your life easy. That was my theory. So what, uh, what did that look like? 
like when you kind of went into business for yourself and and how long do you still do that no i let my business go in 2018 after i had my second kid okay. because it was just too much but i started my business in 2012 and then i officially closed the business in 2018 but i was pretty active there for a while yeah i wanted to ask you about that uh becoming a mother what that did yeah. to your life how that changed uh maybe <laughs> anything everything um yeah <laughs> yeah so so tell me about tell me about becoming a mom and how long after you start your business do you have your first child? Okay, so I started my business in 2012 and I had I got pregnant with Reese in 2014. Okay. And she was born in July of 2015 and um she was the light of my life. Yeah. She still is. She's an amazing, hilarious, silly, smart little girl. Um, but it was hard. I, you know, you asked me what my challenges were earlier on and I told you I hit most of my challenges in my adult life. I had postpartum depression, uh, with Reese. I wouldn't say it was like a super severe case, but it, it was hard. I went from being a small business owner and like, thriving in that and loving that to being a stay-at-home mom and staying at home with a child all day and having very little adult interaction and not sleeping very well yeah. and kind of like losing myself as yeah, like a your person. identity and yeah oh totally yeah. I totally lost my identity I I remember Kyle had started a new job when like two days after we found out we were pregnant with Reese and he was working really long hours all through my pregnancy with her and through like my first year as a mom to try and like prove himself to this company. Right. And so there was many, many days where I was just alone with Reese or, um, you know, I'd go to the park with her or whatever, but he would come home and I was just so done that I would, hand him Reese and she'd be, she'd be crying. And I was like, I just can't do it anymore. And I'd walk out the door and I'd get in my car and I would drive to a parking lot and cry, (laughs) you know? So no, you don't know, but, (laughs) but I've, I've heard similar stories. Yeah. And and I know, I know a lot of women that have suffered from uh, postpartum and it's, it's funny because it's, I mean, it's not funny, but it's, it feels like it should be, normalized more than it is because it sounds more common than I think people believe it to be. Yes, I agree. Um, so Reese is an awesome kid though. She was an, she was an early walker. She walked at eight and a half months. She was super independent. She wasn't like super cuddly. She's just like this independent go getter of a child. Mm -hmm. And, um, I remember when she turned one, Kyle looked at me and said, I'm ready for another. (laughs) And I was like, oh, my God, I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) But um, like two months later, we knew that we wanted we wanted three kids. We've had we had two. We're not planning on a third anymore. (laughs) But um, we uh, were lucky enough to go on a trip to Europe 
when Reese was 14 months wow. and we took her with us. And um, I was like, okay, I think I'm ready. And so we ended up getting pregnant with our second when Reese was four, 14 months, 13 months. And I had Remy June of 2017. So not Reese was 23 months when I got pregnant or when Remy was born. Yeah. What, uh, I, I'm very curious cause you mentioned the European, European vacation. Um, yeah. cause I, that's like on my list of things to do once the pandemic is over whenever the fuck that actually happens. Um, yeah. And yes. like primarily England, but, uh, uh down the line, I want to do like a large chunk of Europe. Um, and one of the things that scares me, this is like a very personal question, but about having kids is not essentially not being able to do that um so i wonder what was that like with a 14 month old doing that european vacation that i imagine you'd like wanted to do to some degree um so <laughs> uh, so a couple things on this yeah one of the things my husband and i have agreed to is that we will always travel no matter how hard it is yeah because it's a big part of who we are and it is hard with children for sure. Um, and that's actually one of the, the newer adventures that I, I just signed a contract yesterday and I'm going to start um, on the side because motherhood is still my number one priority on the side doing um, travel agency work. Oh, Yeah. And um, anyways, to go back to answer your question, uh, Europe, with children, young children was specifically the most specific part that was hard for us was she never changed over to their time zone. Uh, so we were up all night with her and all day. Yeah. However, we offered to pay for my parents to come <laughs> and they came and they watched Reese during the day Got so it. that we could go <laughs> do grown up things and that no was, yeah that changes things uh, yeah that changes everything because we well like we got to, do you know what formula one is like the racing yeah. yeah so we got we got to go to monzo which is the formula one race uh in italy like yeah. terrari um which was quite an experience but we <laughs> would i recommend going to europe with young kids no <laughs> All right. Just, uh, yeah, just wanted to gain some insight from that. Um, so I, I'm, I'm curious and feel free to not answer anything. I don't want to like poke and prod in areas you don't want to talk about, um, or cross any boundaries, but being, I'm so intrigued and I have so many questions and in both invasive and inappropriate about okay. <laughs> you started dating your husband in high school. Uh-huh. And you've been with him till now. 20 years. Uh, <laughs> what, <laughs> I, I mean, what does that look like? And, and what there, what are the challenges there as you, uh, you know, develop as a person and, and your own identity and, um, like I'm, <laughs> and feel free to avoid this altogether, but like I'm recapping, you know, like my own sexual history. I'm like, Oh God, what would that be like? Um, and it's just, so like, how do you stay with someone from high school onward? At, like, what are those challenges? Like, are they everything that I would assume they are or are they like, 
and, and, or am I poking in an area that is is a boundary because I don't want to do that either? No, I'm an open butt. Um, Kyle and I, first and foremost, have a fantastic friendship. Well, that's good. <laughs> like we're best friends. And I think that's what has allowed us to remain together. Obviously, we were each other's firsts <laughs> and only. And we've been together for 20 years. And you know, um, whether this is appropriate or not, <laughs> sex is a huge part of marriage and it's important yeah. and we just work together. <laughs> yeah. We just, we just have a good thing going and we, um, you know, I think in our early twenties, maybe had wondered what it was like to be with other people. Yeah. But we always worked through it, and um, and now, like, I can't even imagine being with somebody else. Yeah. Like, he is my person and my safety net, and, um, you know, we just look forward to growing old together and yeah. things like that. So, I don't know. I, I, I do you, well, do you have any advice? Hard... Like, uh, you know, keep things fun and new and uh, other than I'm assuming having two kids running around will always keep things a little <laughs> exciting but um you know for you guys as as a couple like you've been together a long time mm -hmm. how like what are what's some advice you have on keeping that uh exciting and, and new and well one of the things that works for us in becoming parents is we try our hardest to get away kid free and do date nights yeah. um as much as we can um it's not off nearly as often as we would like yeah. but we try um you know we <laughs> this might be a little too personal we shower together every night that's great <laughs> um a because it's like and not in a sexual way it is just yeah. time for us to be together uh and we talk about everything and we um, we don't have distractions. Yeah. We you don't have technology. You don't have phones. You don't have anything but your significant other. And that is one of the things that honestly, when we talk to other people about our marriage and what really helps us to stay strong, is that is one of our advice that we. That's really about. great. I really like that, and I've, I've never thought about that as a non-sexual daily routine. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, and we live in California where you have to conserve water. So. <laughs> yeah, see, it's just environmentally friendly people. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, is there anything that I didn't touch on when I summarized your whole life in the last hour and a half? Okay, so going back to <laughs> biggest struggles. Yeah. Um, and, and like I said, more of my struggles have happened in the lady, later years of my life. After I gave birth to my son, Remington, he was born in uh, June of 2017. Um, he never slept his entire first year of his life. And I'll never forget on his first birthday, I had been, I was woke up and I was sobbing because I was supposed to be hosting this first birthday party back in Traverse City, we were back for a wedding or something. And 
I was supposed to be hosting this birthday party for like 30 people. And I was exhausted because he had woken up seven times. And one of the things I kept saying to his pediatrician, I was like, he doesn't sleep. We're really struggling with sleep. And as a mom, um, as a second time mom, I had something to compare it to, Yeah. but had it been a first time mom, I would have just been like, oh my gosh, I have the worst sleeper. This is horrible. Um, but I kind of like knew inside that something was wrong. And so I kept pressing and pressing and pressing. And I finally was able to get us a sleep study. And turns out that Remy was diagnosed with severe sleep apnea. He had one of the worst cases they had ever seen. He was losing oxygen as many times as 46 times an hour. Wow. Yeah. So like if you do the math, 46 times an hour, kids are supposed to sleep 10 to 12 hours. That's upwards of 450, 460 times a night that he was losing oxygen. Wow. Yeah. And so I got the call from the sleep specialist, like saying, oh my gosh, I've never seen such a bad case. This is, this is really bad. And then his ENT called me and his pediatrician, they all called me and they're like, okay, we need to do surgery. He wasn't even two yet. And they needed to take out his tonsils and his adenoids. And so I was like, yes, sign us up. When can we do the surgery? And they were like, well, we won't do the surgery on a child until they're at least two. We won't touch them until they're at least two. So we had to wait for a second birthday and then get him the surgery. And it went well, but his sleep specialist had told me, you know, Remy's case is so bad. The surgery might not fix it. Like it might not go away. And so we did it and they're like, give it six to 12 months and then we'll do another sleep study to check it. Well, then COVID happened and they weren't doing sleep studies. So we finally got in for a sleep study this past July and his sleep apnea is for the most part cured, but he is still having um, about two sleep apnea incidents an hour. So again, do the math. That's upwards of 22 instances a night where he could be losing oxygen. So over the last four years, I have never slept through the night. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. So, so what do you even do? Like, do they make little baby sleep apnea machines? Like, what does that even look like? Well, so the good news is the doctor thinks he will outgrow it. I guess, you know, how the human nose and ears are technically. They never stop growing yeah. throughout your entire I've, life. I've heard that. I guess, <laughs> I guess adenoids and tonsils are the same. Oh. So they removed them, but they think like as Remy grows, his adenoids and tonsils will, um, will kind of like even out and he'll grow out of his sleep apnea. They're like, it could be when he's five. It could be when he's. so so um in regards to that (laughs) i just always like to be an advocate to other parents because child sleeps sleep apnea is one of the most undiagnosed issues in children and when i found out that he had sleep apnea i did a lot of research and joined you know some facebook support groups and things like that and turns out that um sleep apnea is highly linked to behavior problems in children and children who are not diagnosed with this are oftentimes put on like Ritalin or um, diagnosed with ADHD or ADD or 
all of those things. Wow. And one of the stories that stuck out in my head is this little girl who had gone to the dentist and her, and she had had poor behavior, was like in counseling, was on medication for his her behavior, bad student, had thought like, she was nine years old, had thought like, oh, I'm, I'm just a bad kid, I'm a bad yeah. student. She went to the dentist and her dentist was like, your tonsils look big. I want to keep an eye on these for a couple of weeks. And so she went back every week for a few months and he's like, yeah, you need to get those removed. She ended up having her adenoids and tonsils removed. Turns out she had sleep apnea and wasn't sleeping. And that's why she had horrible behavior and was not able to concentrate in school and was having all these issues. And within three months was off medication was a whole new child. That's insane. And so there's, all these parents out there who think they have poorly behaved children or all these teachers out there who are like, what is wrong with this child? When in reality, they're not sleeping. Nobody would behave well if they weren't sleeping. Yeah. I can vouch so, for that. <laughs> right? Yeah. So that, that has probably been one of the biggest difficulties in our lives is having a child who can't sleep through the night. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Well, that's uh yeah, that's got to be incredibly difficult to go through. <laughs> but but I really <laughs> I appreciate this and and it's so good seeing you and talking to you. Yeah, I Thanks. don't have anything else. Are you good? Yeah, I'm good. Awesome. I'm well, good. Enjoy the rest of your day. Uh You too. Bye. Bye. You and I have lots in common. My request is sent. Would you like to be my friend? All right, you just listened to my interview with Clara. It was so good talking to her. That that stuff at the end with her kid is crazy. Isn't that crazy? You think it's just like, oh, this baby's not sleeping very well. Turns out the baby's losing oxygen 46 times an hour. That's nuts. That story was crazy, and it makes me fear any child I fear for parents um, <laughs> I don't fear the children I can't talk today but that that's that was just crazy but it was so good to connect with her um, and she was so open and <laughs> she didn't even deny my stupid weird questions uh, about her relationship and you know I encourage everyone to shower together now what a great what a great little perk of being with someone you love there you go I'm going to go shower with my wife. She doesn't know that yet. All right. I hope you guys are enjoying your November because it's over in two days, one day, and then it's going to be December and then it's going to be crazy because Christmas time is crazy. Uh, If you are listening to this on Monday, happy Hanukkah. I know that just started and that is all I've got right now. Yeah. So I'm going to say goodbye. I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. Love you guys.